Hello and welcome to The Road Pod, MedTech Monday, with a Rhode Island-based startup, which I think is very exciting and leads one to wonder, after you listen to them, why wasn't this thought of before? It never ceases to amaze me when some individuals come up with an idea that you whack the side of your head and go, why hasn't anyone thought of that? And Mockingbird seems to have thought of something that no one else has thought of up until now, a time saver for physicians. And CEO Brad Artery is a great interview, a former submariner. He's now building his team and leading the company on their first fundraising rounds. This is exciting because guess what? They hope to build it and stay here in Rhode Island. But before we get into this interview, let's have a word from our sponsor, Nemec, the New England Medical Innovation Center. There's a good chance that some of you who are listening to this are considering entering the medtech space yourself. Maybe you have a device, a digital therapeutic, or your company or your team is thinking of entering this market from an established organization. But the simple fact is, it's not easy to enter, it's heavily regulated, and you really need subject matter experts to understand the landscape. Well, that's where the New England Medical Innovation Center comes in with their boot camps. And this fall, they'll have two virtual boot camps. These two virtual medtech boot camps will be for global startups looking to enter the United States healthcare market. You'll learn how to develop your medical technology in the United States, validate your concept, refine your business strategy, and meet one-on-one with subject matter expert advisors and pitch to investors. To learn more, please go to nemicenter.com forward slash global bootcamps. That's nemicenter spelled N-E-M-I-C-E-N-T-E-R.com forward slash global bootcamps. Okay, let's hear from Brad Artery and Mockingbird. You're listening to MedTech Monday. I'm your host, Danielle Sturm, and I'm here with my co-host, Tom Chiginski. Today, we're going to be talking about a startup story of a Rhode Island-based startup combating physician burnout with CEO Brad Artery. Um, Brad, I'd love to ask you to introduce yourself. I know you haven't really come from a um, leading a healthcare uh, company background, so we'd love to learn a little bit about your background and then more about MyMock and Mockingbird. Great, Danielle. Tom, thank you. Thank you for having me. So happy to provide a little background on my myself. So um, I've got quite a, I guess, diverse background. Had spent time uh, driving submarines for the U.S. Navy originally. Uh, then I was a consultant in Boston. Spent a good decade with um, Citizens Bank, more in the operations role rather than banking per se. Um, somewhere along there, got the real entrepreneurial bug to kind of break free and and um, take control of my life and do something fun and exciting. So I had a, a brief stint in um, franchise family entertainment here locally in Rhode Island. But um, I will say I've always had my eye on the healthcare industry. Um, I'm happily married to my wife, Mary, here in Rhode Island of 19 years. She is a GYN oncology nurse practitioner. So she's been a, uh, a lifelong nurse and nurse practitioner and, and kind of with my operation um, mindset. I've, I've been fascinated by some of the challenges that she often brings home and talks about frustrations. I've been a patient or a customer in a hospital many, many times, and I find it um, fascinating and sometimes frustrating. So I've always kind of had my eye on healthcare and wanted to enter healthcare. And so, 
you know, fast forward to today, um, I've had the, the great privilege and I think a, a strong network ultimately got me here um, to join my mock um, and and start to hopefully, you know, have a positive impact on um, on healthcare broadly and certainly the clinicians. Um, the last thing I, I have to say is I'm happily also the father of two girls, uh, 15 and 12 year old. We are North Kingstown residents here and and um, again, thrilled to be on the show and, and talking about the opportunity that's in front of me. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what MyMock does and your platform, Mockingbird? Yeah, and maybe I'll take a step back and kind of tell you what, what the idea and ultimately the product generated from and then and then can certainly describe what it is. And so a couple of years ago, um, our two founders, the two practicing physicians, uh, one an orthopedic spine surgeon here in Rhode Island and the other a cardiologist down in New York, um, I call them overachievers. They, they weren't happy or satisfied, I guess, with just being great physicians. They wanted to do something you know, more broadly to, to improve and benefit healthcare. So they went to Yale School of Business. They met there, um, ultimately, you know, a couple of years ago, graduated and they became acquainted there. And, and you know, as they were thinking about what to do when they graduated, they, they kind of turned it into a question and said, what's the biggest pain point? that you have in practicing medicine. And they both agreed it was the, the burden, kind of primarily the administrative burden around um, maintaining certification. So, you know, doctors is the best example, but to practice as an orthopedic surgeon or a cardiologist, you have to get a certification or, you know, specialized um, in that specific field. So to get certified and then maintain that certification is a really um, kind of difficult and complex process. Similarly, each state has requirements to practice medicine in that state. And, um, you know, all of the burden to understand, ultimately maintain that licensing and certification lies on the clinician. And there's not a lot of um, consistency or efficiency around that. So the two of them said, let's solve this problem. Um, they had a third classmate who is now our chief technology officer at Yale and they set out to build a platform to simplify that for physicians. So, you know, fast forward to the middle of last year, the three of them had built uh, what's called Mockingbird, the platform, and it, it really does three things. So number one, it's a digital archive for all documentation related to certification and licensing. Number two is there's a rules engine that sits on the platform um, that you know, tells each clinician when you onboard, you choose your specialty and you choose the state or states that you're practicing in. And our platform immediately tells you the requirements to maintain that certification and those state licenses. And then finally, we also distribute continuing education content. So that's typically how clinicians maintain certification and licensing is through continued education. And so um, so what our platform does is it, you know, it shows each clinician, here's the credits or progress you currently have. Here are the requirements of what you need to get by when. And then here's actually a library of CMA content that you can consume to, to close the gap. And so for the first time in healthcare, our platform has, has brought that together. So I'd say that that's what the platform is. Um, when I joined, you know, middle of last year, the platform was kind of what we call minimum viable product ready to be introduced to the market. And I was brought in to help, you know, take it to market along with our, our practicing physicians and our technology team. And we've had the good fortune to, 
um, to grow the team, to continue to, to build the product. And as we sit today, we're, you know, out in the market, um, offering the Mockingbird platform and, and ideally making a positive benefit to clinicians. Yeah, that's that's really interesting that this is kind of the first t- platform that meets that need. Is What is in the market now that is similar to yours? I know you kind of hit those three, um, like yeah. education, continuing education, state-by-state licenses, um, and then the digitalized paperwork surrounding sure. how to keep that certification. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. And I, I get this a lot, and I had the same thought myself, which is, you know, when I joined the team, I said, I can't believe this does not already exist, you know. Um, and I would say a couple things. So there, there is a lot of innovation and investment pouring into healthcare. But I would say, you know, 95 plus percent of it is is going into the what I call the clinic. So creating new devices, creating new techniques, creating artificial intelligence, the electronic health records, you know, again, the patient care. Um, you know, that's the sexy place to be. That's where a lot of the stories you hear. There is not a lot of us spending time in what I call infrastructure, which is we're not about patient care. We're about taking care of the provider or the doctor or the clinician. And so, um, so, you know, it's a great place for us to be. It's a place where not a lot of focus, you know, has, has been had in the past. And I would say there are, you know, we do have competitors but most of the competition is focused on the organization or the enterprise. And so what do you hospital need? What do you board need? Or what do you state need? And let's push those additional requirements onto the providers. And what that does, maybe best intention, but the clinician feels more and more administrative burden coming down on him or her. Where we differentiate is we are we have the provider or the clinician at the center of what we do. If, if we're not making a positive difference for them, we're not going to do it. And so, you know, our solution is all about, you know, can we make or did we make your life better, you being the clinician? Um, we, you know, we think about the organization, but, but again, we're really focused on ultimately giving the clinician time back in his or her busy day to do all of those other things that are being asked of them. So to answer your question, you know, there's, we're, we're one of a few that's really in the infrastructure and kind of outside of the clinic. And we, we are a hundred percent focused on the, the clinician and not so much the organization, which is where our competition seems to be focused. Can you tell us a little bit about how a physician would use Mockingbird? Yeah. So I, you know, current state today is, you know, clinician may need to go to the state of, I'll use Rhode Island as, as an example, may need to go to state of Rhode Island, um, Department of, you know, Health website and try to figure out what the requirements are and when they're due. And I, you know, I can tell you every two years on June 30th, you know, that 40 CME credits need to be had. There's certain specific of the 44 hours need to be an opioid example, example. And so, um, so I'm looking there as a physician on the state website. Um, then if I'm another example, an orthopedic surgeon, I have to go to the American Board of Orthopedic Surgery to figure out what my requirements are there. What you'll find is about 75 CME credits, um, a, a good portion of which need to be in orthopedic surgery. The deadline of when they're due is always the calendar year. So it's six months out. 
And then I might have my hospital has an additional course or requirements I need to take. My insurance company has an additional course. And, and it, it's all in different places, different websites, <laughs> maybe e- emails are flying in that, that, you know, talk about this. But again, I'm trying to navigate that as a clinician or my hospital might have hired a few administrators to kind of help me navigate that. But it, it still is on me, you know, to go get the education, complete the education. So that's the current state. What Mockingbird brings is is one place to go. So I I create my profile and I log into Mockingbird. And it's not only a login. I I you know we're, we have the mobile app and you can do this right on your device. Um, I I can see one dashboard that's very clear to read. Here are my state of Rhode Island requirements. Here's my American Board of Orthopedic Surgery and that example requirements. Here's my hospital requirements and here are my insurance requirements. If I needed forty, I can see I have twenty eight. So I need to go get 12. If I need 75 for orthopedic surgery, actually the 28 I had for the state also apply to the board. So I need to get, you know, this amount more. So we, we simplify the view and then, you know, click in the same website and the same app. Here is a list of several hundred courses that I can take to, to close that gap. So um, I want to filter by orthopedic surgery. I want to filter by, you know, courses that I can consume in less than 30 minutes. For example, I can filter all those on Mockingbird. Um, I have 30 minutes. I can watch a video. I can answer a question and earn one CME credit, for example. So we take a very fragmented, very inefficient, um, you know, current state. And again, we're simplifying it by bringing it all to one place and letting you actually see and achieve you know, the requirements and certifications that, that you need to get all on Mockingbird. So I think you mentioned to me um, in our past conversations that as you were introducing this to physicians um, and users, you recently added a app as well. Yep. What was that of the feedback from the physicians and what made you make that decision and how has it really helped build your platform? Yeah, thank you, Danielle. It's a really, really good point, and and thank you for bringing that up. So, you know, when we when we really launched the platform last fall, um, it was just a web based platform, and our, our assumption was, you know, clinicians still sat down in front of their laptop or their desktop, you know, either at work or at home, and and took courses, you know, consumed CME content. Um, we had the idea of a mobile app kind of as a future state, you know, feature functionality ad, but it wasn't core to what we were doing. As we started to roll out, um, we got immediate and consistent feedback from clinicians that said, I don't sit in front of, well, I don't want to sit in front of my laptop and desktop anymore. I'd like to have, you know, this on my device of choice because I'm I'm as busy as I've ever been. I have you know, windows at work of 15 or 30 minutes where I'm between cases or I'm in the lunchroom or, or you know, I'm commuting to work. And, and you think about New York City on the subway or something like that. And I'd, I'd actually like to use those 15 or 30 minutes to continue to educate myself and ideally get credit. So the mobile, so, so Brad and company, Mockingbird, build me a mobile app. If you can do that, this will change my life and, it, you know, a, a game changer for your product. So, we heard that feedback loud and clear. We pumped the brakes on going to market. I had all the resource at Mockingbird focused on let's build a mobile app. 
that does exactly what our market is telling us we need to do. Um, in it ended up being early February, our app went live on the App Store in the Google Play Store. We've iterated it several times since, and now we're rolling you know back out to market with that mobile app being core to our product set, and and we believe um, you know in the future clinicians will will spend all of their time on the app you know on on the mobile app on their device because that's just again where where you know where they want to um, and need to consume CME so it really evolved from a nice to have to a must have it's absolutely core to our product and feature set and it's going to really help us differentiate as as we grow mm-hmm. I'm interested too how long did it take you kind of to add that application to to your software yeah so it was <laughs> it was pretty quick I think I you know in we went to market kind of October, November last year. By Thanksgiving, we had we had heard loud and clear, you know, you gotta you gotta get this mobile app out. Um, so by the end of November, we had again we had paused. I remember we engaged, you know, the designer for the user experience on the app, worked with them throughout December, and then really in January put the app into production. So it it, it I would say sixty days, which is December and January is when we actually built the mobile app and tested it and rolled it out. Um, it hit the app store in, in February. And again, um, we're on version 1.8.3 or, or something like that now. So at least eight major iterations to the app as we continue to build out the functionality. And so uh, I don't have a ton of technology experience, but it f- feels to me like 60 days was a pretty quick you know, build out of, of an app. And I'd, I'd say the 60 days after that, we really improved it and made it what what we think is a delightful experience now we we still have room to go um but that's a, a sense for kind of how long it took us um to get from feedback to where we were you know out in the market um offering the mobile app i think i think you had a, a distinct advantage in that you had a back end already done a lot of people are app first so they've got to build that right. whole back end you had a distinct advantage by having that. So now you're just mapping that user interface on top of your back end and you have all the, the flows and the, and the charts available for the user experience already. So then it becomes down to how do I make this an engaging, an engaging experience? Right. Which, which, no, great, great point, Tom. I agree with you. We, we got a lot of, you know, I heard a lot of feedback of don't, you know, don't build an app just to build an app, right. um, get the, you know, the core functionality there, the back end built, as you've said, and we were fortunate to have that. And, and, you know, we spent quite a bit of time in December, really saying this has to be an exceptional design and user experience. Um, again, so we were able to focus on really that component of it. We got a lot of advisor and, and again, market research from clinicians who were willing to try it. And they said, you know, I don't like this here. I don't like the color of that. I don't like the look of that. And ultimately, I think we've we've ended up with a fantastic user, you know, design and and now an experience built off that infrastructure that you mentioned, Tom. I think what I've seen in the healthcare space is you look at various portals that are out there. Um, the user experience is is down the path. People don't necessarily build that in first. And particularly when you're trying to gain someone's attention, whether it's in a regulatory environment or a consumer environment, it doesn't matter. Um, That user experience, they're used to something in the commercial world. And if you don't give them that same good experience, that same 
good universe, uh, uh, good UX design, they're not going to engage with the app. Simple as that. Yeah, fantastic point. And I, I, I kind of joke about this, but it's very, very true. Doctors have an extremely high standard and you get one chance to make it wow them. And we heard that loud and clear. And, and we, again, iterated that design many, many times with feedback from, from several of our um, you know, passionate doctors. And I, I, again, I think we got it right, but, but we really, you know, I, I say we have one chance when, when we finally resonate, however marketing, when we, you know, get a, a clinician to try our app, it needs to be great. It yep. needs to delight them the first time, or you may not get another chance. So I, I mm-hmm. think you make a great point. So you have 300 physicians on the platform today. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what it was like to onboard them, how they, you have a subscription-based platform, you have 300 physicians on the platform today. What does that look like and really what was the onboarding? And then what does the onboarding look like for the future? Yeah, great question. So it's all about all about business development, you know, and, and getting the word out. And so I think, um, you know, a, a, we, we've got kind of two go-to-market strategies that we're pursuing in, in parallel right now. And so the, the first is what we call our enterprise go-to-market strategy. And it's our primary. And this is targeting hospitals and, and even larger healthcare systems with a number of hospitals. Um, you know, that we, we like that client. There's a large number of users associated with that. And, and the way it's being presented to, you know, kind of rolled out, I guess, at hospitals and presented to the clinicians is the hospital is going to pay for this subscription as an investment in you, our clinician, and roll it out as a time-saving, you know, benefit, um, an engagement, and and almost a retention tool. And so, um, you know, we like the positioning of the product that way. That's how we've thought about it. Um, and so, we've got, you know, primarily leveraging our founders and our advisory board network. We've got several large hospitals that are, um, you know, in, I'd say, onboarding or. Um, you know, piloting our solution in, in various aspects of the hospital. The, the trick with hospitals, though, and, and kind of the, you know, the, the other lens is it's a very complex organization, sometimes bureaucratic. And so the sales cycle can, can take some, some time. But nonetheless, I think we've got a strong pipeline of hospitals, you know, interested in us that we either onboarding with or have plans to onboard. And so, so that is exciting and, and spending quite a bit of time. But Kind of to your question and back to the 300, we also aren't forgetting about half of physicians and clinicians in the United States that practice in small practices. So we've kind of drawn the line at 50 or less, five zero or less clinicians. We're using a different strategy, which is we've built an outbound sales capability to reach out to those organizations through email, through phone call, even through office visits as we start here in in Rhode Island and, and work our way through New England. Um, and what we've heard and what we found is those smaller offices have a higher pain point associated with this certification and licensing. They have to meet the same requirements as the you know, doctors at large hospitals, but they don't have staff to help them do it. So um, we're trying to reach them. Uh, the, the pain point is high. The decision is often very quick. If you can get the you know, the office manager, the, the practice manager on the phone um, and, and compel them to give you a try, um, then, you know, we're, we're there and, and adding value immediately and, and converting them. But it's, 
you know, that gets a little more expensive. These are smaller, expensive for me, I guess. I've got to build a team. I've got to go visit them and, and have more outreach. And so we're really, I'd say, again, piloting or testing, you know, the state of Rhode Island now. Um, we're going to Connecticut next. We're going to Eastern New York after that. And we've got a few other states kind of to follow to see what are the best practices for us to sell into these geographies, these smaller practices. Ultimately, for me, what is the acquisition cost versus the conversion to revenue rate, and and then how can we roll this out, you know, nationwide? So, the the three hundred physicians we have on the platform today are primarily those smaller practices. Um, as you alluded to, we are currently not charging for mockingbird use. However, the second half of this year, we will transition to a, a ninety day free trial and then an annual subscription, and we think it's a very nominal price point for the value that we're going to bring. Um, but I, you know, I, I'd say the final point to your question is we are getting some very positive feedback. Um, this is, and I'd say it's balanced between this is great with this is going to be great if you can continue to develop it, or here's a little more feedback. And, and again, that was always the plan is let's get it good enough to where it is delightful and and what's known as minimum viable product. And then let's listen to those early customers and really continue to build out, you know, that, that feedback that we're hearing. And so, so all that to say, you know, our goal, Danielle, is to go from 300. Um, we have a path to 6,000 users by the end of this year. It's, it, it's pretty aggressive. Some people say, wow, that's a big number. We think it's very achievable. Uh, we think, and and I'm very confident, we've got the pipeline of both enterprise and smaller practice clients to get us there. Ultimately, you know, my team and I just need to deliver on that now, and and making sure the product is what we say it is. So, exciting time, and we'll really make our mark um, or or learn a lot the second half of this year. Uh, Brad, what are the objections you've heard in the marketplace? So, I there's it's funny. Tom, there, there aren't a ton of objections. It's, it's either, <laughs> it, I'd say unequivocally, we get, this is a really good idea. And, and almost, I can't believe someone hasn't come up with this already. The, the, the gap we're trying to get people to cross is either, it's a good idea, but I don't have time to try it out. As crazy as that sounds, it's really difficult, right? To get a clinician to pause, try out your product. And there's a little bit of a lift when you come on our platform of take all of the documents that are sitting on your desk or in your desk drawer or somewhere in an email attachment and upload them to our site. That way we have your licensing certification CME credits and just you know, that can take a half hour or an hour if someone's just focused on it, but trying to get a half hour or an hour of focus time is, is really, really difficult. So that's, that's, you know, what we're trying to, to help out with, you know, let us do the heavy lift for you. Can we come into your med staff office and we'll upload documents for you? And, and so that's a bit of a challenge. The second thing is, again, we hear this is a great idea, but I have an administrative assistant that does this for me. And, and our, you know, our answer to that is, well, you're still consuming the continuous education. He or she can't take the course for you. So, so let us help in that regard. And then the very real conversation after that is, do you need an administrative assistant or a hospital might have hundreds of administrators? They, they literally do. 
you could actually cut some cost and, and take ownership and do this much more efficiently, you know, with our platform. So I think th- those are the, you know, challenges that we have to onboarding and implementing is just getting folks out of the bad habits that whether bad or good, they work for them today or they're, they're putting up with it and really moving to a new world, which we hope Mockingbird represents. I, I think there's so many processes that are uh, calcified <laughs> in, in the world of medicine. Right. Um, we have, um, you know, it certainly maps directly to the corporate infrastructure, uh, you know, the calcification there too. This is the way we've done it forever. I've got a couple of people exactly. don't have time to change, even though, <laughs> even though it's a half yeah. an hour or an hour, but it may save them 10 hours or 15 hours during the course right. of the year. Right, Tom, it's a great point. And I think, you know, I'll say one more thing in this, this pandemic is we're, we're viewing this as an, an opportunity and even a, you know, a, I guess a magnification of our value proposition, which is. You know, most hospitals and certainly all smaller practices over the last 60 or 90 days have really had a tough time as, you know, a lot of things have happened, obviously, but elective surgeries, elective procedures have been canceled. And elective surgeries are a huge source of financials um, for, for practices. And, and, and again, would we have chosen this as the way that really puts stress on the system? We would not have, but it's, it's done it nonetheless. So, now that we're hopefully coming down the backside of this and, and hospitals and these smaller practices are looking to rebuild, Mockingbird is screaming from the rooftops and, and marketing saying, rebuild differently. If you build exactly what you had before the pandemic, after the pandemic, you've missed a tremendous opportunity to become more resilient. And we think you know innovation is part of that rebuild. Don't hire a person to do something that a cool app or something more efficient can do really focus on the patient experience and how you might improve that and even use this opportunity to, to keep the talent that you had and let some of the non-talent go, like really think about the team. And so, you know, that's bigger than Mockingbird, but, but we're really saying, you know, with that mantra of rebuild differently, telemedicine is here to stay. There's more licensing required. Mockingbird should be part of your new rebuild, you know, value proposition to create that efficiency. And again, give you time back to either practice more medicine or spend time with your friends and family. Yeah. Or, or, or practice medicine in a, as, as a a surgeon friend of mine said, he said, I'd like to be a better doctor. I'd like to feel like I'm doing a better job treating my patients. Yeah. So great point. How many people are on your team now? Yeah, so we're, um, I, I'm at 11 and I just hired the 12th member of our team. Um, and I can say, you know, Q3 of, of last year, uh, we had two of us on payroll. So, you know, we really kind of hit the end of the year. Um, we are ready to go to market and we built a sales capability. We built a continuous education, you know, champion and team. Um, we've, We've got a, you know, the sales team is a combination of sales exec. I, I love interns from colleges, high energy, and, and they can certainly help. So we've got a combination of, of interns as well. And then, you know, I've got a director of operations who's, who's done a fantastic job. And we recently hired a, a director of product and, and added compliance, you know, to that role. So, um, you know, kind of 10 of us, 11, 12 of us on our way up. I do think the team I have now can deliver the path to 6,000 by the end of the year. So I feel like we're positioned. I'm extremely fortunate 
to have not had to, you know, lay anybody off or, or pause our hiring during, during the last 60 or 90 days. And, um, we just, you know, secured office space, small office space here in North Kingstown, haven't been able to move in yet, but that will come. But I, I think we're really, um, we are ready to go poised to go and the second half of this year will be our opportunity to deliver. Are you finding Rhode Island a good place to pilot this? You know, I, 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 I am. And it's, <laughs> I, there's a few reasons. So, you know, it helps that our founding, you know, uh, one of our founders is a practicing and, and very, you know, well-respected orthopedic spine surgeon. So Dr. Ian Madame of Ortho Rhode Island and South County Health, um, his network is, is fantastic and he's a great leader. Uh, my wife is, you know, a nurse practitioner of many years and, and is well networked. And, and so that, that network helps, but equally we get some very, very honest feedback from those folks that are friends and family that um, are trying, but are trying out the platform. Um, but I also, you know, the, the smaller geography um, helps. I think we're able to, to try, you know, certainly the email, the phone call, we're doing a lot of social media. We're doing some press releases locally here. Um, and I think, you know, practice marketing and communication is a partner of ours. Uh, they're very well connected here in Rhode Island. And so I think, you know, it's a nice, relatively small market for us to test a lot of things out, like, you know, New York or Texas or something like that, even Massachusetts would, would almost be too big for us. We certainly have plans, you know, to get there um, later this year or next year. But I, I think I would I would, that's a, a bit of color. I would say this is, this is a good market to test. Rhode Islanders, however, are very, very candid and are giving us some great challenging feedback, but, but ultimately that's making our product better and our, you know, our business better. So I'm, I am happy and thrilled that, that we're here and, and rolling out in Rhode Island. Have you, have you had any issues with fundraising down here in Rhode Island and how is that going and what do you see for the future? And do you see staying here? This is one of the issues that Rhode Island's had is maintaining its entrepreneurial yeah. base. People get funded. One one startup part of Brown got funded and they moved to Chicago. Uh, another one who we talked right. to went to China. How do we, right. you know, have you seen um, uh, traction in getting funded here? And if you're fundraising outside of the state, um, have you seen a reluctance on the part of, say, Boston venture capital or Boston angel groups to, um, to engage. Yeah. And also have they made any comments about, you know, well, if we fund you, we'd like to see you move. Yeah. It's a really, really good, um, question. And, and I, you know, I'll, I'll answer it. And I think, you know, the question still be determined because we're in the middle of a fundraising round. I, I would say, you know, so, so where are we? So, you know, the past several years getting us to, to I'd say the minimum viable product in last year was, was pre-seed funding round with friends and family. And that was a mixture of, you know, our founders who were kind of spread out amongst New England and down into New York. Um, in October last year, we embarked on our seed funding round. And again, we targeted primarily friends and family. And I would say we've gotten halfway through, you know, a, a million and a half is the raise that will carry us well into next year. We're about halfway through that with friends and family. And now we're going to these, these angel groups for the second half of that seed round. And this starts to, to answer your, provide some color to your question. So there's some interest here in Rhode Island. We've, we've had a couple look at us and pass us over angel groups in Rhode Island. We're, we're, 
several steps into the process with two Massachusetts angels who are interested in us. Um, again, they only invest per their criteria in in New England geography. So they, they'd like to see us. They like that we're here and they'd like to see us stay. Um, but I will say, you know, we went to Silicon Valley in February and pitched at what's called the startup grind out there. And we have a group of San Francisco angels interested in us. And we're in a third round with them. Um, they have not asked the question about where we would go, but our expectation is if they came in at, at the half of the seed round, then we would probably need to establish some sort of presence on the West Coast. And so I'm really interested to see, and we'll know in the next 60 days, kind of which of these angel groups steps forward and says, you know, ideally it's one of them, but says we want to fund this company, you know, this Rhode Island based company. And I will tell you, Tom, now I'm going to pivot to me personally. Um, I want to stay in Rhode Island. I want this company to stay in Rhode Island. I will push back on anyone that says I need to move geographically. Um, our chief technology officer is in Los Angeles. I'm talking to a chief marketing officer candidate who is out in California as well. But our critical mass, you know, the other nine or 10 of us do um, reside right here in Rhode Island and our headquarters is and will stay in Rhode Island for the foreseeable future. So my hope is we line up with an angel group that's local. I think it just makes sense and we'll continue to um, send the right message to businesses and investors. Um, we certainly have to cast the net a bit wider than that. Um, but, but again, I would say my goal is to build this company um, from Rhode Island and keep a big presence and headquarters here in Rhode Island moving down the road. Well, given the density of venture capital in Boston at 128 and the the dearth of it down here in, in Providence. Right. But that will change. Hopefully it is changing. But when you go for a Series A round, that will be a benefit to have, you know, local as opposed to San Francisco. Um, and particularly right. the med tech space, which is so big in the New England area, in Boston. I mean, it is, there's a reason why people come from around the world to go to Mass General to have an operation. We are the hub of medical uh, technology right. and medical practice in the world, pretty much. Yeah, great point. Great point. I so, completely agree with you. Anyway. Yeah. So you're also um, pitching at our upcoming softball event that we're putting on this month, which we're calling softball, but this time it's hardball because three, <laughs> <laughs> the three pitcher, uh, pitchies, um, companies pitching are all in the middle of their fundraising rounds. But um, we bring in our group of investors and I about 75% of them are from out of state. Um, so we're trying to build up that presence of having them here in Rhode Island to see the companies that are here in Rhode Island, but ultimately they're, tra they're traveling as well. Right. No, I, Danielle, I, I think I should comment on, on Nemec specifically. So, you know, introduced to Nemec last fall, right when I joined the company, I've, I've got nothing but, you know, positive things to say and positive experiences with Nemec. I'm happy to say we have a, a formal partnership in place now where I'm receiving advisory and mentorship from Nemec, which I, I happily accept and I'm learning, you know, every, every, every week, uh, if not every day, um, our, you know, our marketing partner was also an introduction from Nemec and they've been nothing, you know, short of fantastic. And, and I think opportunities, like you mentioned, the softball pitch and now the fastball pitch just continues to put us in front of, 
uh, people that that otherwise we may not have had the opportunity with. And I think the collective, you know, goal here is is shared, which is let's continue to build the environment and the network um, that brings more businesses, you know, into New England or or those that have ideas here in Rhode Island. Now there's a path for them to get eyeballs on them, a path for them to kind of move, you know, accelerate and move the business forward. And so I am an example of that. I want to remain part of that and God willing be a success story here um, to, for others to follow and, and learn from. So I, I'm thrilled with my experience thus far and, and continue again, day in and day out to, to get, you know, positive mentorship and opportunities from Nemec. Um, great to hear. Thank you. So I have a question regarding the type of instruments you're using to raise the money. Um, sure. Uh, so there's there's two parts to my question. The first part is what type of financial instrument is is it subordinated debt? Is it convertible debt? Is it preferred stock? What type of thing is that? And do you feel because <laughs> you're a mature entrepreneur, um, your team is mature? Do you think, given the fact that? A lot of people in the healthcare space are more than mature. <laughs> um, I, I don't mean that wrong way, but there's certainly, oftentimes there's an age bias and it goes both ways. Oftentimes people are like, uh, who are looking at technology to purchase and improve their organization, look at young entrepreneurs and go, mm, nice to have, but that really doesn't, that really doesn't hit a pain point. And do you think yep. you've, because of your maturity and your in the, both the physicians who went to Yale, the business, and yourself being yeah. a mature individual, um, not that young people aren't mature, but it's just <laughs> it's sort of the conversation that people are having almost among peers, as opposed to right. generation generational difference. And how has that affected your 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 um, penetration? Yeah, great great question. I, you know, I'll, I'll give you my kind of opinion on on that second part um but by no means the the right answer but it, it, we'll, we'll see how we do and and continue to comment that i think to answer your first question so we are raising our seed round of funding on what's called a convertible note um you know there's a discount rate associated with that which you know for us in a future priced round what's known as a priced round it will be our series a round this is when a you know, an investor, likely a venture capital or an angel investor comes in, values your company formally and buys a, you know, a share of it. For us, it'll be a minority share. Um, but suddenly the stock, you know, has a value and your convertible note that our, you know, seed and, and pre-seed uh, investors have convert to preferred shares. And, you know, for example, ours is an 80% discount, meaning new, new company buys, um, you know, new value company at a dollar, my investors convert at 80 cents on the dollar and thus get more shares. So, you know, we used what's called a simple agreement for future equity or safe in the pre-seed round. We're using a, it, a, I guess, a slightly different um, convertible note. Um, slightly different terms. It has an interest rate associated with it as well for this seed round. Um, and, and again, those will convert to preferred shares in the future price round, which for us will be a series A. Um, so to your second question, I think, you know, I've heard, and, and I'm, I'm extremely humble and, and, you know, learn, I will learn every day of my life. And this, this fundraising and, and startup is, is relatively new to me. Although, you know, I, 
I definitely have, you know, had the entrepreneurial bug for a period of time here. But, you know, I've heard more complimentary feedback on the team we've assembled, um, kind of the mature, experienced team, than I have reservation. And I think, you know, some of the more sophisticated investors, which are the angels we're talking to, you know, I comment on our advisory board, for example, and they're like, first question, do you have an advisory board already? And I say, yes, we do. Um, and well, tell me about them. Well, we've got four very experienced healthcare professionals, you know, COO of large healthcare system, um, insurance, we've got a Facebook um, you know, marketer. And, and so we really were thoughtful about putting this advisory board and the, the angels, you know, say, wow, we don't see that a lot. You need to call that out. That's going to help your case. You know, Brad, personally, you're not in healthcare. Why you? And we explain that to say, well, we've got two experienced, you know, physicians who know medicine. We've got an experienced technologist who knows technology the three of them don't know how to go to market to build a company and to build a culture. So we're going to bring you, Brad, in with a very diverse background, albeit non-healthcare. You're going to have no bias. You're going to ask the questions and call out the things in healthcare that you don't agree with. And collectively, we're going to be stronger and, and better for that. And so I think, you know, I, I'm, again, I, I, I'm getting the sense and the feedback that, you know, the more mature, the more diverse um, and the more established kind of advisors we have is helping our cause. But, but to answer your question, also, my, my need then as the CEO of the company is to make sure I'm bringing in new technology, you know, younger, high energy, diverse talent to surround me to address some of those, you know, those real or perceived gaps that, that you know, a, a more mature and, and experienced you know, leadership team would, would leave. And so it's, I think it's a combination of the two, but I'd say broadly, we've gotten some pretty high praise from the sophisticated investors on the leadership team and the, the advisory board that we've built. Well, I think the average age, the average age of a uh, successful startup these days, uh, the founder is uh, over 40. It's up to like 46. I read that. So it's, it sort of leads the bias towards a more mature team, frankly, if, Right. Are looking to that I, yeah, that, that's exactly my age. So I'll, I'll attest to that. Hopefully that, <laughs> <laughs> oh, hopefully good. that carries through. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there. I'm the sweet spot. So good call. <laughs> that's interesting too, because a lot of the entrepreneurs in our community are younger and they're coming out of college. Um, so it's great advice to really say if you don't have that age, build it into your team. Show the investors that you have people that are older. Um, that are supporting you to make them feel better and, and to invest in you. Yeah. We like call. to use the I word mature, not older, Danielle. Sorry. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No offense taken. <laughs> um, so I just, I had one more question um, and it's only because I really want to prompt to talk about like, social media marketing for for a systems platform like this because a lot of people don't know um, a lot of entrepreneurs i've talked about have come in and said like where do i market how do i market on social media what are you guys doing now and like what platforms are you using and what kind of content are you creating um, i know you're really focusing on those small individual um, clinicians and offices through yeah. social media what does that look like yeah it's a it's a good question danielle and i think to be really honest with you, we're, we're still trying to figure out 
for, you know, for clinicians specifically, where's the highest, you know, impact opportunity on social media or, or penetration. And so we, we've established a presence on all the major social media channels, you know, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, uh, Instagram, we have a YouTube channel. And we're, we're spending a lot of time, you know, if not daily, but certainly multiple times a week, putting content out there that's, you know, that's kind of unique to Mockingbird when, when it makes sense. Um, but, you know, also celebrating healthcare clinicians broadly and just creating that, you know, brand awareness or, you know, I, I'm personally a LinkedIn kind of user. And so I spend quite a bit of time there. Um, I, I think there's a, a generous amount of clinicians there. Um, we've heard some feedback that Twitter is is a really good place um, where clinicians spend quite a bit of time. And so we're, again, we're spending quite a bit of time there. And then as we, you know, as we go to market in these uh, for these smaller practices in Rhode Island, in Connecticut, um, and ultimately New York, we're going to, you know, boost some, some posts targeting geography and, and specific, again, user types. Um, and, and we've started that, but, but, you know, I have a meeting this afternoon to go through some of the results of our recent campaigns and, and start to tweak. So mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, my, my advice and what we're trying is you need to be on all channels, um, you know, six months from now, I can probably give you a slightly different answer or more well-informed answer, mm. you know, which says we've found the best, you know, results to be in Twitter or LinkedIn, for example. Um, but I also think, you know, we're, we're kind of steadily leveraging practice marketing and communication, our partner, we're steadily getting press releases out there at, you know, when our mobile app released, for example, um, we, we hit a press release around that. Um, I think key hires, um, you know, and again, as my founders like to talk about the business and, and people like to hear about that. So we're, we're also putting out press releases and writing op-eds and, and kind of getting that out there as well, more organically. And, and again, mm -hmm. leveraging our partner to some degree. So, um, so long winded, we're still trying to figure that out as well. I wish I knew the answer, but, um, Right now, we're spending a lot of time, you know, getting our presence, getting our user counts up um, to ultimately help answer that question. And I think we'll always be on all the platforms, but we'll really start to focus on the couple that seem to have the highest return. Yeah, I we use LinkedIn a lot, and that's where a lot of the the startups. Um, I kind of tell them use LinkedIn and utilize that. That's where a lot of the audience is. But as you said, what was really interesting is there is a large, large group of clinicians and nurses on Twitter. Um, and since we last talked too, I was looking into it, and you can actually either create your own or find people who have created Twitter lists of physicians in certain geographical yeah. areas or physicians in certain levels. So that's something that's really interesting to look at. You can create those lists. You can find people who have already created those lists. Then you can target yeah. either organic marketing or paid marketing at those lists. Wow. Okay. There you go. I wrote that down. There's another opportunity for us. So thank you for that. Tom, do you have any more questions for Brad? Uh, Brad, just in summation, can you, for any entrepreneurs listening, to this, can you give them three points, um, three bits of advice or two, whatever you feel uh, that would, you know, what you've learned and because you come from a very broad experience base from the submarine, which is highly 
highly leadership focused, obviously, um, right. and to the entrepreneurial space and into a calcified, I'll, I'll say calcified, somewhat calcified healthcare <laughs> space. Um, yep. So what have you learned and what can you, what can you tell people? Yeah, I thank you for, for asking, um, that question, allowing me to, um, to, to kind of give my advice. So number one, you know, I, I'd recommend that you, you continue to learn no matter how experienced or calcified you are, um, just, just be willing to learn and, and it's okay in an investor pitch or, or any conversation to say, you know what, I don't know. Um, I don't know what the answer to that is, or here are three things I'm trying to help answer that question. I think, you know, investors and businesses like to hear someone who is grounded, who is humble and wants to kind of learn and build along with them. So we've had, I, I learned very on a couple investor presentations when I answered the question, you know what, I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out. That was a very positive thing to say in a response rather than me trying to come up with what, you know, was I knew was the answer, but ultimately was the wrong answer. So number one, you know, be a learner and, and be okay telling folks, you know, I don't know that, or we're trying to figure that out. Um, secondly, I would say is surround yourself with talent. Um, be, you know, be self-aware enough to know what your strengths are and where your, you know, weaknesses or opportunities are and fill those with very talented people. I've, I've read it and I firmly believe it. Hire people that are smarter than you and, and let them, you know, let them succeed. Um, and I, again, I'm growing the team as kind of responsibly as I can. We've got some incredible talent joining the organization. We have an incredible network and I'm okay with that. And I will continue to spend a little more or just, you know, create a culture that, that we are an, you know, an employer or a startup of choice and people want to be part of that. Um, and, and so, you know, that's number two. And then I, you know, final number three, a, a little cliche, but just, you know, just take risk, just go for it. Um, make mistakes, make them quick, learn from them, pivot quickly and, and continue, you know, don't, don't pause, don't conservative. You're just going to get your, your lunch eaten, you know? So I, you know, I'd say go for it. And, but again, you know, learn, learn fast and, and have the team and yourself, you know, agile enough to quickly pivot and, and move in the next direction. So those are probably the three best bits of advice I can give. Thank you very much. So if anyone's um, listening that wants to get in contact, you may be an innovator that's an entrepreneur in the space or a physician that wants to use your platform. What's the best way to get in contact with you? Yeah, I think LinkedIn is is where I spend, again, most of my social media time. I, I'm a big LinkedIn messenger uh, and and have my eyes on it multiple times a day. So just, I'm the only Brad Artery on planet earth. So just look <laughs> me up, um, shoot me a message and we will find time to connect. But I'm, you know, I'm interested in giving back any advice that I can give that would help. Happy, happy to do that. Equally, if there are healthcare clinicians that you know that, that you'd like to spread the word to, um, please, by all means, put them in touch with me or point them towards Mockingbird and and I'll take feedback, positive or negative, on that. It's gonna, it's gonna make us all, you know, my product, my business, and all of us better. So, um, just to answer your question, go to LinkedIn and find me, and I will, I will happily and quickly follow up with you. 
Awesome. Thank you very much for joining us. And thank you for listening to MedTech Monday. And if you have any feedback um, on this episode or any previous episodes, just make sure you post on social media and hashtag MedTech Monday. That's exciting. A MedTech startup that wants to get funded and stay here and grow in Rhode Island. That's good stuff. Anyway, as regular listeners know, if you'd like to reach me, it's Tom at The Road Pod. Thanks very much for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.